If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Jude. I'm going to start in verse 17 and read through verses 25. So Jude 17. But you, beloved, must remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And on some who are doubting, have mercy. And for others, save, snatching them out of the fire. And on others, have mercy with fear, hating even the tunic polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, might, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So we've been going through this little book of Jude. And we looked at Jude 3 quite a while ago. And we saw that the purpose of this letter was that every believer in the church is supposed to contend earnestly for the faith in their local church community and then in the broader church community around them. And then Jude 4, we saw the problem and the danger for the church is that certain persons have crept in unnoticed who deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And then we've looked at Jude verses 5 through 16. We looked at the primary and secondary sources that Jude uses to warn all those in the church community that those who do not come to faith in Jesus Christ and remain in the faith of Jesus Christ will receive judgment and condemnation. Jude also points out the root sins and the fruit sins of these false Christians, followed by their judgment and condemnation from our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Also, we see in these verses, 5 through 16, Jude gave us detailed descriptions of these false Christians by using examples from the Old Testament scriptures, Jewish traditions, and similitudes of nature and promise to help the church get a clear picture of who these imposters may be and how to identify them amongst God's elect. And now we've come to the application section of Jude's letter here in verse 17. And this is the section in which Jude, who loves triads, gives his readers three commands on how they must contend for the faith against the imposters who have crept in unnoticed. So we'll see three different commands in verses 17 through 23. Although today our focus will be on 17 to 19, but 
This first command, Jude commands the church in verses 17 through 19, to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first imperative or command we see there. The second command, in order to contend for the faith, Jude 20 through 21, Jude commands the church to keep yourselves in the love of God. And then the third command, Jude 22 to 23, Jude commands the church to have mercy on all the unbelievers who have been led astray by the imposters. So Jude, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these three imperatives that the church must follow obediently while they contend earnestly for the faith so that the church can grow to full maturity in Jesus Christ instead of getting sidetracked and falling away from the faith in the process. Jude wants to be clear about how we should contend for the faith. We have an example in the scriptures of a church that fails to follow these three imperatives while contending for the faith. Not that Jude told this church to do this, but it would have helped them. Revelation 2, 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, This is what the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. You also have not grown weary, but this I have against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. But if not, I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So this is why we as a church would do well to learn from Jude's application section on how to contend earnestly for the faith. It seems like this church in Ephesus was doing all the right things except they fell away from their first love. And Jude commands us, keep yourselves in the love of God later on in this section. So today we will look at Jude 17 through 19. This is where Jude starts the application section of his letter in which Jude informs the church how to contend earnestly for the faith against the imposters that Jude has been talking about throughout this whole letter. Let me read it to you. Jude 17 through 19. But you, beloved, must remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, not having the Spirit. How do we know that Jude is starting the application for this church in these verses? Well, Jude turns his focus away from describing the imposters back to the church by writing, but you. All throughout his letter, he's been saying, these men, these men, and then he comes back, but you. Jude is now directing his attention to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ. 
In other words, Jude is speaking to every believer in the church. Jude starts, verse 17, but you, beloved. Jude is showing his affection for this church again as he calls them beloved. This is the second time that Jude calls this church beloved. Jude, a friend of patterns of three, will call this church beloved a third time in verse 20. And we looked at this before, but beloved means loved by God. And with Jude saying it the way he says it, it means loved by God and loved by Jude. Jude loved the church. And he says, but you, beloved, must remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude here gives the first command or imperative, remember. It's an imperative, you must do this. You must not fail to do this. And we looked at the the meaning of remember before in, in Jude 5, and that's where Jude is commending the church. He's saying, I'm reminding you, although I don't need to remind you because you know all things. But this time he gives them the command, remember. And one man writes, when Jude asks his readers to remember what the apostles said, he is not just asking them to perform a mental exercise. Remembering in the Bible includes the will and not just the mind. In recalling what God has done or said in the past, we are to take it to heart in a way that affects our thinking and behaving. That's what Jude's calling us to do. We see this call to remembrance all throughout the Old Testament. And look what happens when a people forget who God is and what he has done. Psalm 78, 5 through 11. For he established a testimony in Jacob and set his law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and recount them to their children, that they should set their confidence in God and not forget the deeds of God, but observe his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and they refused to walk in his law. So they forgot his acts and his wondrous deeds that he had showed them. So by forgetting, they no longer followed God. They fell away from God because they did not remember who God was and what he did and all of his wondrous deeds. Biblical remembrance is one of the reasons why we assemble to hear the preaching of the word of God and also one of the ways in which brothers and sisters in Christ minister to one another by helping each other to remember the truths of the faith. And as we saw before, Jude says, you know all things. You have the Spirit, and he's taught you all things, yet we still need to remind one another in a way that helps us and impacts us to live out according to what we already know. 2 Peter 1 alludes to this. 
verses 12 through 13. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been strengthened in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. And Peter's saying the same thing. I just need to remind you what you already know. And then you will live accordingly because of the Holy Spirit in you. Biblical remembrance is the way we increase our faith and obedience to our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. One man defines biblical remembrance like this. As a recalling to mind a truth that will impact me afresh with its significance. It's recalling to mind a truth that we already know, but recalling to mind in a way that its significance makes an impact upon us. Then in turn, with an appropriate response to that impact, you remember and you live it out accordingly. When we fail to remember the truths of the Bible, we are susceptible to falling and to unbelief. I have a couple examples here. Luke 24, 1 through 12. Now on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And when the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. But he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And when they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the rest of the women with them were there. They were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they were not believing them. But Peter stood up and ran to the tomb. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away by himself, marveling at what had happened. They had forgotten the words of Jesus. They saw it with their own eyes, and yet they still didn't believe. It says here at the end, Peter went away marveling. The word marveling here means that Peter still doesn't understand or believe what his eyes are seeing. Because he forgot the words of Jesus. Do you see the connection between remembering the words of the Lord and belief? I'll give you one more example. John 2, 18, he brings us to what happens after Peter marveled. The Jews said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this sanctuary, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this sanctuary, And you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had spoken. 
And as I just showed you before, when they saw it with their own eyes, they didn't believe it until they remembered. And then they remembered the words of Jesus, and then they believed. Do you notice a difference in the way you think and behave when you forget what God has said to you in his word? The apostles write to remember throughout the epistles. 2 Timothy 2.8 Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, of the seed of David, according to my gospel. 2 Timothy 2.14 Paul tells Timothy, Remind them of these things, solemnly charging them in the presence of God, not to dispute about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Remind them, Timothy. You just have to remind them what they already know. Titus 3.1, remind them of these things. 2 Peter 3.1 and 2, this is now, beloved, the second letter that I'm writing to you, which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So we have to continually remind ourselves of the word of God in order that we will be obedient to it. Jude has some specific words that were spoken by specific men that the church must remember. So Jude 17 and 18b, but you, beloved, must remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ that they were saying to you. So notice that Jude does not say to remember the words written by the apostles. This implies that some or all of the apostles had spoken in person to this church body that Jude has written to. And yet Jude still reminds the church that they must remember the words of the apostles. This church didn't have their New Testament Bible yet. They just had to remember the words that were physically spoken to them by the apostles. Notice also that Jude is referring to the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, which the scriptures say there were 12 plus Paul who were apostles of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ was speaking through his apostles by the Holy Spirit after his ascension. So Jude's saying there's, there's 13 apostles that you must listen to. So you don't have to listen to an apostle today. Jude does not tell his readers to remember the gospel spoken by the apostles, but to remember certain individual sayings of the apostles. Jude doesn't have to remind this church about the faith, what the apostles said about the gospel. He needs to remind them that the apostles said there would be imposters. Which words of the apostles does Jude want the church to remember? Jude 18, they were saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. So Jude starts with, in the last time. When is the last time? It's obvious these apostles were saying to the church, in the last time. In the last time. 
The New Testament refers to the last times as the time period between Jesus' first coming and human flesh being born of the virgin, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, until his second coming when he returns to judge the living and the dead. The last times refers to our present time and our future time until Jesus returns. The last times could end tomorrow. The last times could end in a thousand years. Maybe 10,000. I don't know. Some people think they know already. I don't know. We see in the New Testament that the last times, the forces of evils will increase more and more. But at the same time, the gospel will go to the ends of the world and the kingdom of God will prevail. So listen to what Jesus says about the last time or the last age. And this is long, Matthew 24. If you have your Bible, you can turn there and we'll start in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And coming out from the temple, Jesus was going along. And his disciples came up to the point out of the temple buildings to him. And he answered and said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Now as he was sitting at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will arise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pains. Then... They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will deceive many. And because lawlessness is multiplied, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures till the end, he will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house." And whoever is in the field must not turn back to his garment. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. 
Therefore, if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and appears even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So you see, evil continues to grow in these last days. But the kingdom of God prevails by the power of God and the power of his gospel to save all of his elect. Not one will be lost. Not one. The apostles wrote about the last times warning of the difficulties for believers. They also pointed to the encouragements for the believers in the last times as well. 1 Timothy 4.1 But the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. 2 Timothy 3.1 But know this, that in the last days difficult times will come. Evil continues to get more evil in these last days. But then we have the encouragements Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. God, having spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also made the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory and expect an exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power, who, having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has an inherited a more excellent name than they. This picture is Jesus' ascension into heaven, and he has spoken to us before he ascended in the last days the last age. Acts 2.17, Peter preaching, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind. And we see that on the day of Pentecost, in these last days, the Spirit poured out on the church. And it's been being poured out, the Spirit on the church, ever since. Which words of the apostles does Jude want the church to remember? Jude 18, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own godly lusts. So Jude focuses on the negative side of what the apostles were preaching about the last days, the last times. Evidently, this is one of the sayings or oral teachings of the apostles because we don't have this written down word for word in the epistles. The closest writing that matches what Jude has written about the teaching of the apostles is in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, verses 2 through 4. 
that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? So Peter's saying, these people, they deny his coming. They deny his judgment. They deny that Jesus Christ will come and judge the world in righteousness. Jude doesn't say that. Jude says, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. So in a quick reading of what Jude just wrote, you may think that mockers means that these imposters were mocking or scoffing with their words against the believers in the church. But that is not what Jude is saying. If you think about it, it would be hard to creep into the church unnoticed while at the same time mocking the believers in the church. I think everybody would notice that. The term mockers, following after their own ungodly lusts, describes the imposters' lifestyle and refers to the imposters as mocking God by following after their own ungodly lusts. The term ungodly lust refers to the many ways that the imposters are ungodly, just as we looked at in the prophecy of Enoch. The imposters are smart and well-informed about the word of God, and they tell the church that they believe that Jesus is Lord and that the gospel is real, but they mock God as they openly demonstrate their disobedience to Jesus Christ as they follow their own ungodly lusts instead of obeying Christ's commands. That's how they're mocking God, with disobedience. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name we did not did we not prophesy and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many miracles and then i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness could have said you who practice mocking god you who practice disobedient as some translations say Jude is saying that the imposters are living in a way that mocks God, but the church should not be caught off guard by the lifestyle of these imposters because the apostles said that this would happen. And at the same time, the church can be aware that we are in the last times because we are seeing the scriptures being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. We shouldn't be caught off guard by people falling away from the faith. We should know that these scriptures are true and real. God's word will remain forever. What will this mocking of God by following their own ungodly lusts look like? Well, we might get a picture of it in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But know this, 
that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, without gentleness, without love for good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, but having denied its power. He's talking about people in the church. These people are mocking God with their disobedience. 2 Timothy 3.13 But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's talking about in the church setting. Let's move on to Jude, verse 19. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, not having the spirit. Jude again directs his attention towards the ungodliness of the impostors for the last time in his letter as he points to the fruit of the impostors' ungodliness. We see this, Jude says, and he goes back. These are the ones who cause divisions. Jude says that the impostors cause divisions. The word divisions here means to make separations, to mark off boundaries, as in to put up fences inside the church. It's the only place in the New Testament that this word is actually used in the Greek. And Jude is saying that the impostors create divisions within the church. The impostors separate the believers in the church from one another by setting up boundaries or fences in the church that God never established. God didn't put those boundaries up. God didn't put those fences up, but the impostors come in and do it in the name of God. Which causes divisions, which causes factions, or we could say sects, little bubbles in the church. Jude says that the impostors do the opposite of what Christians are supposed to do. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, be restored, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. That's what the church is supposed to do. It seems that the impostors make the church split into these sects or factions by causing disunity in the church which can create little bubbles of believers that are separated from one another inside the church. When they create these divisions, they're turning the church against herself. They're turning Christ's bride against herself. One man writes, it brings no honor to Christ when his body is crumbled into pieces. Christ prayed that all of them may be one, Father, as you are in me, and I am in you, John 17. This implies that our divisions and breaking into sex puts the gospel in a bad light in the eyes of the world. We're supposed to be the light of the world. Instead, it makes us look dark when we let the impostors cause divisions in our church. Other men point out the fact that when you contend for the faith and call out the impostors for creating divisions within the church, the impostors turn around and accuse you of creating divisions by contending for the faith and being obedient to God. 
So you accuse them of denying the Lord and Master, and they accuse you for being too obedient. They accuse you of causing the divisions, for contending for the faith which you are commanded to do. Why? Because they want you to stop. They want you to turn from listening and remembering the Word of God to listening to them, or to being imitate their lifestyle. Jude 19, these are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly-minded. Jude says that the, the imposters are worldly-minded. The Greek term for worldly-minded here means soulish. It has the idea of being in the natural state, being of this world, therefore thinking and acting according to the ways of the world. Worldly-minded. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But a natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned or examined. That's being worldly-minded. You're still of this world. James 3.15, This wisdom is not coming down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. James is saying to be worldly-minded, to be still in your natural mind, does not come from above. In other words, the imposters, worldly-minded, because they have never been born again. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, not having the Spirit. Jew goes one step further to make his point, so that the church truly understands the truth about these imposters. Jude says these are the ones not having the Spirit. Jude says that the imposters have crept into the church unnoticed, but the imposters' fruit sin of always causing divisions will expose their root sin of being worldly-minded because the imposters don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. They can do no other. 1 Corinthians 11, 18-19, Paul speaking about the Lord's Supper. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. In part, I believe it, for there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Galatians 5, 19-21 Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and these, and these things alike, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul is saying the people who cause divisions will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he's talking about in the church setting. These imposters are in the church setting, but are still living according to the flesh. Listen to Romans 8, 5, 11. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not 
even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. If you have the Spirit, the Spirit dwells in you. And Jude is saying these impostors are without the Spirit. Which is interesting because he starts out in the last times. In the Old Testament, the prophets, and in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles, they point to the full manifestation of the Holy Spirit dwelling in God's people in the last times. That's when we're supposed to see it fully manifested. Peter preaches, and he quotes Joel. The Holy Spirit will be poured out among all flesh in the last times. Yet in these last times, the impostors don't have this spirit. So how can we contend earnestly for the faith against the impostors? Jude says to remember what the apostles said about these impostors. That will help us contend for the faith. Because if we forget about this, we'll be caught off guard. We'll be depressed. We'll be discouraged. We'll think the gospel maybe doesn't have power. How can we contend earnestly for the faith against the impostors? We can remember and obey what the apostles said about the church. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 22-25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk and step with the Spirit. So how can we contend for the faith? We can walk and step with the Spirit. The world can see that we are walking by the Spirit and the imposters are without the Spirit. The world can see that this gospel changes people, causing them to love one another, to be united in Christ, How can we contend for the faith against the impostors? Well, let's finish with Paul's words to Titus. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to be peaceful, considerate, demonstrating all gentleness to all men. For we ourselves also were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another, but when the kindness and affection of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not by works which we did in righteousness, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
so that having been justified by his grace, we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How might we contend for the faith? We can be an adopted children of God that lives to please God. 